want to listen to this Ivory Tower Boiler Room episode and all of our Ivory Tower Boiler Room episodes ad-free, head to our Patreon, patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Ivory Tower Boiler Room for $5 a month. You get all of our ad-free episodes, our video interviews, and our bonus episodes. See you there. And I started watching uh, YouTube clips and somehow landed on Madeline Kahn. And I remembered how much I enjoyed her work. And performance followed performance. And I started scrolling down to look at the comments, which is always a dangerous thing to do. But I noticed that with Madeline Kahn, unlike Maria Callas, Judy Garland, mm-hmm. Ella Fitzgerald, sacred figures. There was not one negative comment about Madeline Kahn. Hi, this is Andrew. So, you know, when I'm not here in the Ivory Tower Boiler Room, sometimes I'm actually invited to be on other podcasts as a guest. Well, there is one podcast run by Christian Garcia and um, his co-host, Nate, that I absolutely love. It is called That Old Gay Classic Cinema. So calling all you classic cinema fans out there and those who love queer theme cinema, which I think there's a lot of you who are listening right now where you've uh, perked up. So follow them on Instagram at That Old Gay Classic Cinema. The first ever episode I was featured as a guest, it's The Sound of Music. I got to talk about being Captain Von Trapp in high school, and it's just such an exciting conversation. They've also featured discussions about Gone with the Wind, The Wizard of Oz, which features guests from uh, the podcast The Garland Gab and Down the Yellow Brick Pod. There is a deep dive of Cinderella, and recently they had an episode on the film Giants starring Elizabeth Taylor, Rock Hudson, and James Dean. And actually, one of the uh, guests, Lauren Randall, I know from Stony Brook University's PhD English department. So shout out, Lauren. Um, You can listen to That Old Gay Classic Cinema on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. It's definitely such a great listen. So why not listen to it after you listen to this current episode on the Ivory Tower Boiler Room? Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. I am really excited. Well, first, um, as I'm recording this, Mercury has just left retrograde. So that's why I'm going to (laughs) blame Zoom technology issues. Um, So if you are watching us, um, because we do have subscribers watch this, our guest is holding a phone because the audio is coming from his phone for his microphone, which is all working out. So, you know, we're happy. We've got the podcast format. All you have to do is hear the audio. So, you know, it's nice though that our guest is on video too. But I want to introduce who I'm with because getting to meet him was serendipitous. It was um, spontaneous. I met him in Fire Island in September. Everyone knows on the podcast, I did a whole Not Safe for Work episode about my 30th birthday. So listen to that. Uh, It was juicy and steamy and uh, people liked it. Um, But I got to meet William V. Madison, who 
now I'm calling Bill, but William Madison, who is a former producer at CBS News, a former associate editor of Opera News, the lone production assistant for the Broadway musical Rags, which I actually really like that musical from 1986. I think Judy Kuhn was a great show. Yes. Um, She was. Yeah. uh, A graduate of Brown University and of Columbia School of Creative Writing. And he hails from Texas, but is now a New Yorker. I basically think because he was lived in Manhattan a while. So we are here, though, to talk about a figure who I really loved when I found out he wrote the only biography of her, which is the actress, the enigmatic figure, Madeline Kahn. So, Bill, thanks for joining me here. Thanks for working through the technical issues of Zoom. And, you know, (laughs) all that matters is we're here now and we can idolize and talk about Madeline. (laughs) Well, that that does matter. And uh, enigmatic is a very good word to use for her. Uh, She did not reveal herself the way some other stars do. Uh, not even aspects of herself. She was not Madonna. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, well, let's Uh, start, like, if I may, let's start there because I was so curious about reading up on her in your biography. There's so mm -hmm. much of that mystery of her that not only did she not want to reveal herself, but she also questioned her ability a lot. And I remember... Oh, yeah. um, yeah. She was so down on... Not down, but she wasn't necessarily confident that she was always that comedic genius that we now revere her as. Well, a lot of performers are fundamentally shy and insecure. She certainly was one of that family. Uh, I mean, her insecurities stemmed from a lot of reasons. Uh she never really dealt with her parents' divorce, and she never got loose from her mother, which is, uh, I think, the reason she never wanted her biography to be written, mm. uh, that she didn't want to embarrass her mother, because there's no way you can tell the story of Madeline Kahn without embarrassing Paula. Uh who was just an astonishing figure. And, you know, we're pretty sure she was mentally ill. We just don't know what she had. Uh, She was never diagnosed until she got dementia. And then we knew that. But uh, I did meet Paula. Excuse me, I never met Madeline. But I did meet Paula. And Paula flirted with me. the end of our little conversation I said is there anything else you want to say to me and she said yes I think you're very handsome so she was trying to manipulate me the way she had manipulated pretty much everybody in her life just trying to get a good account of herself into my book Um, it was pretty astonishing and Madeline's brother and I had raised eyebrows and had a little chat about this afterwards. Uh, but that's who her mother was, uh, a woman who, when Madeline was 
you know, out of diapers, but probably still in training pants, uprooted her from every single person she had ever known, moved her to Manhattan, mm. and then sent her to boarding school. So at the age of, was it five or six? I can't remember. You've got the book in front of you. You can tell me. Uh, but she was very, very, very young. Mm-hmm. And that was not totally weird at the time. I actually know people of her generation who went to boarding school that young. But for her, again, having been uprooted, and I know almost nothing about her family history except what her mother would tell me. So completely deracinated and thrown into the strange new world. And she didn't like boarding school, but that's where she discovered acting. And I will stop there because that will give you some opening to say something. Well, I I always remember being surprised that Madeline Kahn is from the Midwest originally, right? No, nope, she, she's from Boston. You know? Oh, she's from yep, Boston. She's Boston. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So she's Revere from Beach. Boston. Revere Beach. Yeah. Yep. You know, uh, I think I'm getting confused with Gene Wilder, who's from uh, yes. Milwaukee, from the if I remember. And yeah. and and yeah, how the hell did that happen? I know. That's uh, why I've always no been sense. confused. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, so she's from Boston, but A then- A lovely guy, by the way. Yeah. Well, and- I will. Since I brought up Gene, he wrote something so sweet with about your book. Um, he wrote, Madeline Kahn is the best comic or best dramatic actress, the best singer, serious or comic, and the best I've worked with or known in my life. I mean, yeah. Um, the interesting part, though, I wanted to bring up, you mentioned she goes to boarding school. So my mm-hmm. question, and you go through this, but for everyone out there, so they, you know, now have a reason to get their hands on your book is um, her means, because going to boarding school, you would assume that that is a certain privilege. So, like, how would you describe her background? It was a very left wing boarding school. Mm-hmm. It was the Manumet School, which is a, a, a term that means released from slavery. Uh, it had a, what we today would call diverse student body, uh, uh, people, children of many races and differing abilities. Uh, they were extremely unpopular with the locals in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, but I should just note how cut off was Madeline When I started this book, nobody in the family remembered what state the school was in. Wow. I spent a couple of years looking for that school in New Jersey. It was in Pennsylvania. Hi, this is Andrew, and I'm interrupting what I know is an enthralling interview because I want you all to know that we are sponsored by Broadview Press. And if you don't know, Broadview Press is an independent academic publisher who publishes books covering 
topics like English studies, writing, philosophy, history, gender studies. And every season on the podcast, I interview one of the Broadview Press authors. So for the fall, we had Ann Stevens on to talk about literary theory and criticism. She played a Wizard of Oz literary game with us. She talked about why Bridgerton actually involves literary theory. So does Fifty Shades of Grey. Who knew? Um, and also, we just had on Jeffrey Weinstock, who wrote the first ever pop culture analysis book. So, you know, I am all things a lover of pop culture, especially my Hollywood topics, Real Housewives, the list goes on and on. And he also wrote the book called The Mad Scientist's Guide to Composition, where he's writing a book teaching students about how to write rhetorical strategies, but it's all around this metaphor of being in the mad scientist laboratory, because as you'll learn when you hear our episode with Jeffrey, he is a gothic and horror fanatic. And I mean that in all the best ways possible. So you don't want to miss Broadview Press's exclusive discount because you're listening to the podcast. All of you get an automatic 20% off. Use the code Ivory Tower for 20% off site wide on all of their books. So, our, in our show notes, we have a link to Broadview Press. Make sure you click the link, put in Ivory Tower, and you're going to get 20% off your order. So, enjoy your reading, everyone. It closed shortly after Madeline left. There was a fire, the records were all destroyed, whatever, nothing is online, almost. There is a student body uh, group mm -hmm. that meets uh, online and that's how I got in. But uh, it, this is how cut off she was from everything. That her yeah. own stepfather could not tell you what state she went to school in. And she went from that school into his home when her mother married her stepfather. So that's how, I mean, it's really hard for me to wrap my head around that her mother just sort of cast her adrift yeah, for so, years and years and years, but wouldn't let her go. Yeah. So wait, but so how, how many years is she in this school? Is this like, is this elementary, middle, high school? Elementary. She oh. uh, left when she was 11 when her uh, stepfather married her mother. Okay. So then where did she go for the rest of her schooling? Public schooling in uh, Queens. Oh, okay. So Jackson Heights. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't know that she was in Queens. Like that's something oh, yeah. that you bring up, but that she... Um, well, she really had an interesting life then. I'm curious, was the school that you found in uh, Bucks County, was it in Doylestown? Uh, I don't remember that. Uh, and I would have to look it up online. As I'll have to look. Easily yeah. good. Uh, I know that Sue Simmons, the uh, Channel 4 uh, WNBC anchorwoman, attended it. Uh, Susan Oliver who was famous as the first green-skinned lady on Star Trek. Oh, wow. Attended it. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, I did not talk to either of them. Um, I wish I'd talked to Susan Oliver, and of course now she's gone. But uh, well, that's what I was yeah, going to ask. Was the very, did you the very first of all the green skin ladies on Star Trek? You know, they're, that's a thing. Yes, it's like yes. the guys in the red shirts. Well, the green skin ladies. Susan Oliver was the first, and she went to the Manumet School. But before it moved to the location where uh, Madeline Kahn attended. Well, and the reason I ask about Doylestown is because that's where near there is where the George School is in Newtown. And that's where Stephen Sondheim went. Um, so there was a tradition oh, of boarding schools, especially of the could have Quaker. Been a very interesting meeting mm-hmm. uh, between them at a formative age, and he might have liked her better than he seems to have liked her. So uh, she tried all her life to get his approval and did not get it in a way that translated to a job. So um, well, she auditioned eight times, eight times for wait, company. For company? Oh, I didn't know. Yes. Who was who is she yes. auditioning? What role did she audition? I believe one of the Bobby Bobby Baby uh, girls. Oh, okay. One of the I don't think she was trying three... for one of the big parts. Oh, one of the flirtatious roles. I talked at length with Barbara Barry, who was in the original cast, and she didn't remember anything about this. And how Prince had completely forgotten that she had auditioned for him eight times for a company. Um, And at some point, it's like, why do you let this woman come back? Because you know you're not going to take her. Well, um, but it's funny to bring up Sondheim because I know Madeline Kahn in terms of her singing from that iconic Getting Married Today company concert. How about that? How about yeah. that? Like how interesting how it all circles back later. Well, two things. Number one, Sondheim, through an intermediary, uh, declined to give the interview because he said he didn't know Madeline well enough to talk about her. Hmm. And the other thing was from Hal Prince, who spoke to me in his office uh, very vigorously. (laughs) He said, the thing you need to know about Stephen is he never dislikes a production or performance of his own work. What matters to him is that they do it and how they do it is less important to him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think Sondheim probably likes that, getting married today. But, you know, again, no job came out of it. Yeah, but, and, and that she was also... what Madeline was really hoping for because she knew that yeah. he had a tendency to write for women of a certain age parts mm-hmm. that showed them off very nicely. Um, yeah, but and that's not the only concert um, a Broadway concert that she's known for because she's also in that anyone, anyone can, whistle. can whistle opposite Bernadette Peters. And our narrator and hostess, Angela Lansbury, who had originally played the part that Madeline was playing in the concert and who said during a rehearsal, I should have played it myself. And she didn't mean it in a nasty way, but that's, what Madeline heard was nasty. Mm. And so it was not a happy experience for Madeline. Uh, It was less rehearsal than she would ordinarily have preferred. 
she was the kind of performer who would not like get up and sing at the piano at a party because she hadn't rehearsed. Mm-hmm. She needed preparation. And for that, just like encores and so many other things, they had a week of rehearsal. Not enough. So um, she's playing a famously difficult show with limited rehearsal and the original star standing across from her saying, gee, maybe I should have done this after all. And Madeline actually screws up a a cue. And if you watch the video, you'll see the audience starts jeering her. And again, this was a gay audience. She did not have bigger fans than the people in this room. But she gave them a gesture, quiet down, where's my hand? Okay, there's my hand, quiet down, and started all over again. Uh, And it's super dramatic. Not 42nd Street stuff, but it's, you know, it's showbiz legend. Um, So, yeah, her experience with Sondheim was not great. Uh, I know she would have loved to have been Mrs. Lovett. It never happened. Uh, That would have been so fascinating, though. (laughs) But, I mean, I think, though, where... Do you think when we now look back at, I mean, there's so many Broadway critics and fans who look back at her performance in Candide and Glitter and Be Gay and how so many are surprised of her coloratura voice and her training. (laughs) Do you think, though, there's now this reflection on her that didn't exist when she was alive, like the perspective wasn't there? I think certainly her voice was not appreciated in her lifetime. I think the night of the Candide concert, yes, it was, because Richard Rogers went home and said, I'm putting her into two by two. Uh, She has an aria that is almost as extravagant as Glitter and Be Gay. Um, The thing about her Glitter and Be Gay is that she was also hysterically funny. And also that she, again, her preparation, she had rehearsed that to a fair thee well before she walked into audition. And I know that because I've talked to the man who auditioned with her, Michael Cohen, a wonderful composer, uh, among his other credits, he wrote a Das Chicago song. And if you know anything about Kurt Vile, you need to listen to Madeline Kahn singing Das Chicago song. It will leave you on the floor in tears laughing. Uh, But Michael and Madeline coached Glitter and Be Gay over and over and over so that she knew every note and every gefilte that she wanted to put into the part uh, before she walked in the audition. And so both the conductor and the director of that concert, I spoke to them both before their deaths, uh, walked out saying, this is the one we haven't, you know, there's no other possibility. And evidently Bernstein felt the same way because she got the job. I did not talk to him. (laughs) But you did talk to 
you know, not to just, I do feel like though, where everything is leading to another narrative and story, which is why your biography is so enthralling is well, how it's a book, tell it. not a pamphlet. <laughs> yeah. Well, but y- the way that you're just telling her life, I mean, she lights up though. It's obvious when she's on the Carol Burnett show. Hey, Ivory Tower Boiler Room listeners and true crime friends. You've heard me gush over this incredible woman and her beautiful products. I'm talking about Mandy Made It. Mandy makes customized and original crochet and cre-cut goods. They are the perfect, unique, one-of-a-kind gift for literally anyone in your life. And she makes incredible home decor. I still have my pumpkins that I put out every fall. I just love them. Check her out on Instagram at M-A-N-D-E-E Made It or search Mandy Made It on Facebook. To order, just slide into her DMs. And if you mention the Ivory Tower Boiler Room, you will receive a free personalized gift with your first order. So go on Instagram and look up at Mandy Made It And Mandy is spelled M-A-N-D-E-E. Again, her handle is at Mandy Made It. Mandy spelled M-A-N-D-E-E. And order today. I mean, I rewatch those skits all the time. And there's a camaraderie. Beautiful story. Yes, Mm -hmm. it's a beautiful story because it was not a friendship that extended beyond that episode. So it was, you know, one week, uh, I mean, they were, you know, kindly toward each other for the rest of their lives. But uh, nevertheless, it made such an impression on Carol that when I spoke to her, she was able to quote the sketches verbatim from memory. All those years later. And I should add that... uh, when the interview was over, I was on the phone right over there. Uh, it was the landline, which is now in another room. But my husband came out of his room and said, I've never heard you laugh like that. Who were you on the phone with? And I said, Carol Burnett. She still has that power over me to make me helpless with laughter. Helpless. And, you know, one of the great things about Madeline is that she worked with so many people who made me laugh so hard when I was a boy. And at the time, they were all young Turks. And now they're all Takakas. But I got to talk to them. You know, I did not actually speak to Gene Wilder. But if I emailed Gene, I got an answer within an hour. Which is, yeah. That's impressive. Uh, And I, I realized, because from something he said in our initial exchange... I thought he wanted me to come to his house. Mm-hmm. And so I naturally said, sure, sure, anything you like. And he backed off. And I realized the part that defines him best is in one of his least seen movies, The Little Prince. He plays the fox. And the fox can't be tamed. And that was Gene Wilder. 
Mm. Uh, it's also one of Bob Fosse's uh, most notable on-screen appearances. Um, well, so did he get nervous movie. about that openness, Bill, with you? Or well, like he thought he went too far with the, okay, like, realizing, oh, I'm inviting this kind of Well, invitation. and I knew where he lived. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I knew where he lived. My, my uh, girlfriend lived down the street from him in Connecticut. So I knew how to get to his house. And that may have made him very skittish. Mm-hmm. But um, one of the things that I discovered was our relationship was a bigger give to me than I understood at the time. Because after the book came out, and he'd given it the blurb that you read, you know, the endorsement that I prayed for, he didn't answer any of my correspondence. Mm and then died with dementia. And I realized that his last bursts of lucidity were given to me and to Madeline. I mean, really to Madeline, because he didn't give a damn about me, but Madeline was very dear to him. And uh, so he may not have wanted me to see him as he was declining. He may simply have been very shy. Again, a lot of performers are shy, and we don't think they will be because they get up and entertain us, but in their heart of hearts, they are shy. Uh, But, you know, when he did pass away, I understood that, no, it was not a slight that he had stopped returning my emails because, again, he had been just rigorously precise about answering within one hour. Boom, I got something. Um, so I didn't feel my feelings were not hurt anymore. I'll yeah. just put it that way. <laughs> yeah, well, and you've gotten to talk to, I mean, even Dan Rather. Has a beautiful. Well, blur. I worked for Dan Rather for twelve oh. years. I mean, that's, that's what I was thinking. That, because is that all because that of CBS? Yeah. Oh, no, I, I worked in his office for twelve years. Yeah. Oh, uh, wow. But <clears throat> he got me. He got me a couple of uh, important uh, interviews. Uh, I. I mean, it's weird to say now, but at the time, it was a get interview. I talked to Bill Cosby because Dan Rather set it up for me. Mm. And Bill Cosby was an important collaborator of Madeline Kahn and did not harass her, uh, treated her extraordinarily well, uh, especially when her cancer was diagnosed and she began having to take sick leave. Um, I mean, just, you know, he, he was lovely to her. So that a lot of the stuff that came out after he and I talked is very hard to square with the man he was to Madeline or with the man who, you know, made Fat Albert and made me laugh when I was a kid. I mean, not everybody who made me laugh when I was a kid turns out to be a great person. Lily Tomlin, yes. Bill Cosby, no. 
but thus is thus is people's person well decisions they make in life that the way they interact with others it can be very different depending on this scenario and you think you know someone's relationship to people and then what came out with bill cosby you know completely i think shifted a lot of the american public's opinion obviously well he Um, had to be that good guy in order to get away with the bad stuff Mm. and I guess I can compare him to, he won't thank me for this, but Fidel Castro, mm. the most charismatic man I have ever met in my life, had to be charismatic. Well, because abusers, he abusers would not tend have to be. gotten. How about that? And right. fascist dictators tend to be. Yeah. So And narcissists. I mean, narcissists only yeah. are can become narcissists from manipulative yeah. strategies. Yeah. Well, and but, there's a lot of cases of narcissism in our country. But um, all the people yeah. who would have all the people who would have murdered Castro, but didn't because he was so charismatic. Wow. You know, that's how he got away with it. Yeah. And, well, because you yeah. mentioned Dan Rather and knowing that you had a working relationship. I'm just curious, what led from you being um, a producer to then, well, I'm assuming you were always writing. Like, how did the journey from being the behind the scenes now into, okay, I'm going to take on the task of writing the only definitive biography of Madeline Kahn, like, is is a really strong passion to follow. Well, uh, no, I was always writing. And in fact, when we spent a week with Castro in Cuba, uh, Castro gave me a nickname, El Domilita, the novelist. I think it's really because he couldn't remember my name, but he would turn to his uh, translator and say, Que dice El Domilita? So I was always writing something. Uh, My novels didn't go anywhere. Uh, but then one night I was sitting in my garret in Montmartre, and I know that sounds like a cliche from La Boheme, but I actually lived in a garret in Montmartre, uh, and I started watching, uh, YouTube clips and somehow landed on Madeline Kahn. And I remembered how much I enjoyed her work. And performance followed performance. And I started scrolling down to look at the comments, which is always a dangerous thing to do. But I noticed that with Madeline Kahn, unlike Maria Callas, Judy Garland, mm-hmm. Ella Fitzgerald, sacred figures, there was not one negative comment about Madeline Kahn. Hi, this is Andrew. So, as some of you might know, I've been such a fan of the Gay and Lesbian Review by Monthly Magazine of History, Culture, and Politics that publishes essays in a wide range of disciplines, as well as a slew of reviews of books, plays, and movies, and a number of special features, such as artist profiles and the popular art memo column. 
Did you know we actually had two of the writers on the Ivory Tower Boiler Room podcast, Ignacio Darnad and Vernon Rosario. So if you haven't, make sure you listen to those episodes. Each GNLR issue brings you consistently intelligent, lively, thought-provoking articles focused on a unifying theme and brings together the leading minds on the topic. You won't find a lot about the latest dating fads or fashion trends, though you might find articles about online dating as a social phenomenon, like Grinder, which I have some experience with, or the gay influence on 20th century fashion. Now, for a special offer, when you subscribe to the GNLR, you'll receive a free copy with any print or digital subscription. That's seven instead of six. Visit glreview.org. That's G-L-R-E-V-I-E-W.org. Click subscribe and enter promo code ITBR for your free issue. And as an added bonus, you'll receive online access to all archived issues of the magazine. Enjoy your reading. And I remembered the people who liked her when I was in college. And there were many of them. And I thought, they read books. They would read a book about her. And that was what set it in, in motion. Yeah. So well, simple, then, simple as YouTube. Yeah, but I love that you really highlight, because I didn't read the subtitle of your biography, of her, but it's being the music, a life, that the yes. music is highlighted yeah. first instead of the acting. Like, why for you was the music the entryway in? Well, part of it's my background. I mean, in addition to working in opera news, I worked with the very, very magnificent singer Teresa Stratus, uh, both on the show Rags and uh, for her personally. Uh, and, you know, a number of singers are very good friends of mine. But it's also her own answer. Uh, Alan Arkin asked her on the set of Simon, what got you into this? Why are you doing this? And she said, I wanted to be the music. I used to, and she actually goes on at length in a speech a few years later. Uh, you know, I used to listen to a particular piece of music and it was uh, the Dance of the Hours from Ponchia's La Gioconda, uh, which we know as the ballet for the hippos and ostriches from Fantasia. Uh, but she listened to that and she, as she recalled, she was too young even to speak, but the music had such an effect on her and she would like put the needle back on the track again and again because she wanted not just to hear the music or to perform the music, but to be that. Mm. And it was such a Madeline thing to say and such a Madeline way to say it that it became the subtitle of the book. Uh, I would say my real focus was on her work, mm -hmm. but music was very often her focus in her work. And her approach to acting was very musical. Um, she takes a speech and approaches it like an aria. Uh, and she knows what the beats are. 
and where her voice should get high and where it should get low and where it should get loud and where it should get soft. All of this she has covered before she goes on stage or on screen. Well, and I think a good example of that might be one of my favorite films of hers where I actually first was introduced to her, Leslie Ann Warren, um, is Clue. And the whole flames on the side of my face. Yeah, and flames on the side of my face is improvised, but it's also musical, right? The highs, there's this high-pitched moment. It's Her voice has a tinkle in it when she... Like a twinkle, <laughs> yeah, a twinkle as a twinkle of this uh, staccato. What would you like? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and no, I mean, she was, she was an extraordinary talent, and the more time I spent watching her performances, uh, the more I appreciated her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and before this ends, I should just say the two movies that nobody ever sees, like the five everybody sees. Mm-hmm which are Clue, Blazing Saddles, Young Frankenstein, uh, What's Up Dog, and Paper Moon. Everybody sees those. Easy, easy. The things you need to see are uh, The Adventure of Sherlock Holmes' Smarter Brother, which was Gene Wilder's first movie as a director. He also starred and wrote that movie. Uh, And it's basically a big, glossy valentine to Madeline and to Marty Feldman. Because after Young Frankenstein, he walked away saying, I want to work with these guys again. Uh, So you need to see that. She plays an opera singer uh, singing a a spoof of Umbalo in Mascara by Verdi, which is pretty hilarious, uh, with Dom DeLuise, uh, who also loved opera and also loved Madeline. Uh, and the two of them just go to town with it. Uh, the other movie that you need to see, if you have not, and you probably haven't, is her last movie, which is Judy Berlin, uh, in which uh, uh, Edie Falco and Barbara Barry and Bob Dishy uh, co-star, uh, and also the wonderful Judy Cobar, uh who is best known to most of us from the electric company where she played Jennifer of the jungle and Julia grown up, not Julia child, Julia grown up. Uh, Look her up on YouTube. You'll, you'll have an amusing 20 minutes. Uh, Anyway, uh, it's a, a very strange little movie with a flawless cast and if you let it creep up on you the way it is designed to, it will knock your heart out. Yeah. Uh, and what Eric year, Mendelsohn directed. What year is this, William? I think the official release date was 99, which is the year she died. Okay. But she was already, uh, like for the promotional stuff for the movie, uh, she was already wearing a wig from the cancer and things like that. And Eric remembers uh, his mother saying something very nice about Madeline's hair when it was perfectly obvious she was wearing a wig. So it it was right at the end. Uh, uh, But yeah, the big five, 
everybody sees. Everybody yeah. will tell you to see. see definitely. The, the two that you might miss are yeah. Sherlock Holmes' Smarter Brother and Judy Berlin. And yes. they are glorious and very rewarding. Yeah, uh, they sound so think, interesting of the character she plays. So it's... Well, and she said to Eric about Judy Berlin, I'm so glad I didn't die before I made this movie. So, okay, so we all need to watch Judy Berlin. She's and, proud. She's yes, proud of yes. the work she did. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And especially the Sherlock Holmes is smarter brother with Gene Wilder directing and also starring in it. Writing. And co-starring. And, oh, writing it too. Wow. Yeah. And it's kind of a secret stealth musical mm. because there are a lot of musical numbers in that show, although you don't necessarily think about them when you walk out. I think the, the big opera thing at the end is, you know, it's a set piece and you probably remember that when you walk out, but uh, it's famous for the kangaroo hop, which is a popular song of the period, which the assistant director found and brought to Gene Wilder. And I talked to her Um yeah, I tried to be as thorough as possible, although there was a point when my editor said, you have talked to too many people. If you talk to one more person, we will not publish your book. You need to stop and fix this, yes. um, which is why I didn't talk to John Guare. I would have loved to have talked to John Guare. I did not talk to John Guare. I should have talked to John Guare. My editor didn't want me to. I blame him. Um, <laughs> Always blame the editor. No, I'm just kidding. The oh, editors yeah. out there, we oh. love you. But they have to keep us to oh, deadlines. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, what did? But yeah, the kangaroo hop. Look it up. Yeah. Uh, well, and Gene Wilder Madeline also. Marty Feldman and Gene Wilder doing a music hall song from the turn of the century, and it's bliss. And, well, and there's it's no reason for it in the movie. It just happens. It just happens. Yeah, and, and Gene Wilder has a beautiful voice because. I always remember when he sings Pure Imagination in Pure Imagination, Willy yeah. Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. So it is. It's interesting. I feel like Gene Wilder and Madeline Kahn, you're actually bringing to bear some intersecting. Um, they were. I mean, they're kind of not similar. Like Tracy and Hepburn, but people do like consider them one of the great screen couples. And in fact, they made only three movies together. And in one of them, they don't have a scene together. Hmm. And that's Blazing Saddles. LGBT stories are universal, but each one speaks to the individual heart and soul of the writer telling it. Do you have a story to tell? Have you been moved by an LGBT book, film, painting, television show, or other form of media? If so, the Gay and Lesbian Review wants to hear from you. The GNLR believes in bringing awareness to queer art and artists through reviews, commentary, and thought pieces in which the author relates their personal lives to a particular piece of art, a novel, a movie, or what have you. In addition to the articles published in the print magazine, the GNLR also publishes articles on its blog, as well as personal essays on its popular Here's My Story section. This allows people like you to share their own experiences with our readers. To learn more about submitting either to the print or the online edition of the GNLR, visit georeview.org. That's G-L-R-E-V-I-E-W dot O-R-G. 
and scroll down to the bottom of the page to find a link to their writer's guidelines. If you have questions, email me at stephen.hemrick at georeview.org. The GNLR can't wait to see what you have to say. But Blazing Saddles is the movie where Gene Wilder, not in any of the shots, was on the set when she was singing I'm Tired and sat through every single take and went to Mel Brooks at the end of it and said, if this is your whole movie, it will be worth the price of admission. Wow. Well, and then how about, did you have a chance to talk to Mel Brooks? I spoke with him on a couple of occasions, yes. Uh, And he was great. It was a little uncomfortable for me because he stopped working with her after History of the World Part One. And he wants to say that that's simply because the parts weren't right for Madeline. Madeline took it personally Mm. to the degree that she worried that after a 10-year collaboration, somehow Anne Bancroft, Mel Brooks's wife, had gotten jealous of her how that would have worked, I don't know, but that was, I mean, it was, it was to the degree where she was like, what can have changed? Hmm. And Mel didn't really want to hear any of this. So, um, he also didn't want to hear that she was not comfortable playing the body material that he wrote for her. And all of her friends told me she was not comfortable playing that body material, but he likes to think that he liberated her mm. to the point that in the, the American masters documentary about her, uh, about him on PBS, uh, people like Tracy Ullman and Joan Rivers are saying, Oh yes, you know, Mel liberated Madeline Kahn. That's not how she saw it. So we're talking it about like, for example, made her say dirty stuff. Like the penis jokes in history of the world, for example. Very much those. Uh, yeah. Very much uh, the the it's true, it's true scene from Blazing Saddles about mm-hmm. the size of the Schwarzenegger, uh, and or is that no Schwarzenegger is the word. Um, uh, I mean, the the rape scene in Young Frankenstein, which Mel doesn't think is a rape scene, and all of Madeline's friends do think is a rape scene. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, there was so a lot of So it was complicated stuff. how she saw that material. And you bring all of that to bear from her perspective. Like, that. I'm, I want to highlight to the audience that you bring in her friends and like the conversations she had with them. So even though you didn't, yeah, she had passed away when you were writing this. Um, yeah, I never met that her. You never met her, but you still, yeah. but you still have talked to so many in her circle that you can piece together how she would have thought about the material. And, um, you know, as we're ending our time, I just want to thank you, Bill, for, Creating a bio that really um, highlights how to look into an artist's perspective about their work, that it's not 
an easy process. It's not like she um, doesn't respect how received she was with certain material, which like you're saying, the Mel Brooks material is how many first encounter Madeline Kahn, but there's also complicated. Yeah, but there's also the artists, um, the nuance that they have of their work and of how they're seen by the public, the perception, right? That power of the oh, public yeah. perception. So yeah. you do such a wonderful and that she job. She would be devastated when that she would be devastated when he stopped working with her. Mm-hmm. You know, as awkward as it was for her sometimes, she was devastated when it ended. Yeah. Um, well. Yeah. I just am so thankful that you know you took the time with me here. I hope everyone, because I think so many just um, only know the surface of Madeline as an actress. So I think for us to actually dig in deep to these conversations that you've touched upon here briefly, you know, everyone get Madeline Kahn being the music, a life um, by William Madison, um, now affectionately known as known by me as Bill, um, you know, I can call him Bill, but everyone out there, it is William Madison. And the Madison. rest of you can call me William V. V, yes, remember William the V. V Madison, yes. <laughs> um, this was wonderful. I can't wait to, you know, hopefully I'll have you back. Maybe we'll like discuss other interests you have in the Broadway Hollow- Hollywood sphere. Oh, I, also. I've been around the block. Yes, and I need to shout out, um, William was on uh, The Sewers of Paris, who actually is a podcast yeah. friend of ours, Matt Baum, uh, his yeah. show. Yeah. So if you want to know about, we didn't touch upon the Broadway flop of On the 20th Century, and there's all this history around it. Um, listen to the, his ep- something, interview something with Something Madeline Matt. Kahn and I had in common is working on, on Broadway flops. Broadway flops, <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Rags. No, actually, and by the time this comes out, I will have released my Carrie the Musical episode with like the Carrie musical. Um, I call him a scholar, but he is all things knowing um, Eric Champney. So, you know, there's a lot of Broadway on here. I always say Carrie showed that Rags didn't even know how to flop properly. That's true. There's a way to flop sometimes. We were the greatest loser until Carrie. Mm-hmm. So, and then just two years later, it would change. Yep. Um, yep. Well, thank you, Bill. Thank you to everyone listening. Thank you. Um, and you know, thanks to Madeline for all of her artistry. Um, thanks always to Madeline. Yes. Always to Madeline yes. and to her friends who were so open and and welcoming to me. Yes. So, yeah. Okay. Well, bye everyone. Until next time. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. This is Andrew Rimby, the executive director. I want you all to follow us on social media because there's so many video clips that we share and so many photos about these episodes. Follow us on TikTok and Instagram at Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Follow us on Twitter at Ivory Boiler Room. Follow our Facebook page, the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Join our Patreon, patreon.com slash Ivory Tower Boiler Room. For $5 a month, you get ad-free episodes, our video interviews, the True Crime and Academia bonus episodes, and all Ivory Tower Boiler Room bonus episodes. Thanks for buying a coffee for me. 
And thanks to an amazing team. Thanks, Mary. She's our chief contributor. And thanks to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room Spring interns, Andrea, Caitlin, Sarah, Sheila, and Rosie. See you all again in the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. <laughs>